Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the, uh, no, not the morning sports briefing. Where are we? No, it's 8pm at night. It's not morning at all. It's the Driving Mall Show uh, here on New Zealand Sports Radio. That's right, 8pm every Tuesday evening um, is your weekly fix of rugby. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, um, there's uh, Super Rugby just a couple of weeks away um, and we have some um, cool stats to uh, share with you. So we'll have a talk about that. Um, There's a couple of news items that we'll uh, cover off on. Um, and then there's some small matter um, of, um, of some rugby that actually happened uh, uh, last um, last weekend. Um, so we might have to talk a bit about that as what happened in Europe. But um, yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll, uh, we'll yes, I'm, I'm sure that uh, it'll that'll, that'll just take a couple of seconds to get through because nothing really important happened um, up there in the Six Nations, as you can uh, probably tell. So um, joining me this evening to uh, talk about all this kind of stuff. Um, we have uh, Boa. How are you doing, sir? Hello, Boa. Very well. Well, what can I say? Uh, historic weekend. Um, uh, you there, Paul? Ab- absolutely historic weekend because I got to um, interview um, uh, Tupu Vai, uh, the uh, the All Black, for the first time. So clearly, yes, historic weekend for that reason. And we'll we'll, we'll have a look at those interviews as well um, as in, in the build-up to Super Rugby. <laughs> I, I was um, I was more alluding to the fact that Scotland managed to finally, finally. Well, you, you have to be fair to Scotland. Once a season, they have a good game. <laughs> Once a season, it just so happened to be at Twickenham, thirty-eight years after they last won a game against England. So, uh, yeah, what can I say? I hope everyone is well, and I hope everyone is safe. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bert. and also joining us is uh, Stephen Harris. How are you doing, sir? Very good, thank you, Paul, and uh, good ne- good evening to you. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be on the uh, TDM. And good morning to those viewers in Durban in South Africa because it's nine a.m. It is the morning <laughs> in South Africa, and over in London it's just after seven. So good morning to those viewers who are tuning in in their droves to the TDM. There you go. Yes, yeah, so it's, it, it is. It's a, it is a good morning somewhere in the world, and uh, it's also uh, it's after five p.m. somewhere in the world as well. So I can have a beer as well. So it's all we're all good. All good here. Um, so look, let's uh, uh, clearly the um, the Six Nations is the big news of the of the weekend. So let's um, 
kick off there with that one. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't seen France versus Italy. It was um, A, it was in the middle of the night, and B, I was up, had to drive up to Auckland um, to cover the Super Smash. So I didn't um, I didn't get up for that one um, because, yeah, it was just too early and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been dangerous driving. So, um, boys, did uh, did you watch um, France versus Italy at all, either of you? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, in fact, watched all the games this weekend. Um, I, I have to say a massive question mark on or a massive question mark over the involvement of Italy, uh, you know, competing at this level. They're, they're pretty abysmal. I mean, they haven't won a game since what, 2015 and the atrocious form uh, was just compounded. You know, France were just far too good. Ten tries um, and, and really Italy looked like they were lost. Uh, they were, they were kind of like the the bully in the schoolyard uh, or the one getting bullied by the big bully at the schoolyard. Um, and, you know, France just turned up, did their thing. Um, so you can't really read too much into that form line because, you know, it was a thoroughbred racehorse against a V8 race car. And, you you know, we know who's always going to win. Um, but there was, uh, you know, some some sublime touches uh, from a few of the French players, namely Dupont, this beautiful little no-look flick-back blind pass. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a good team, France, no question about it. Uh, but I'd like to reserve my judgment on how they go against the better teams. And Italy, they, they certainly don't belong in the Six Nations or any nations playing Test Rugby at the moment. Ouch. Ouch. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, I mean, um, they've beaten... Uh, so the, uh, since, since you brought it up, let's get straight into this one of, oh, Georgia should replace Italy rubbish. Um Italy have beaten Georgia recently when they have played. Uh, Georgia have never beaten a Tier 1 nation. I mean, there really isn't another team that's demanding a place to replace Italy. So you either go down to five nations or you... Uh, yeah. That, uh, or you complete Italy, I think. That, that, is, that is precisely what I'm saying. I think it's got to go back to the five nations. And, uh, you know, just having another sixth nation, Italy, Georgia, or whoever, it's just, you know, it's making up the numbers and it's making a mockery of the, the competitive nature of it. So I think it's just got to go back to the five nations. Yeah, guys, dare I say it, even the Western Force and the, uh, the Melbourne Rebels and Super Rugby, even when they were struggled, they actually managed to win some games and obviously every now and again uh, tip up a team. Yeah, I don't know. Like Paul said, if, if, if George is the answer, they probably are. But at the moment, a team that's not the answer are the Italians. I mean, say, if you think about it, the French without Intermec, their star first five not playing, and a couple of others in the forwards not available. And really and truthfully, this game was well and truly over, even before half-time, 24-3 at half-time. And of course, 45-3 with 22 minutes to go. It's arguable that uh, the French took the... Uh, the foot off the accelerator. And it, it must be concerning for those who actually run the game in the Northern Hemisphere that they've actually got a team that, let's face it, is a dud, an out-and-out out dud that's actually playing uh, in this uh, uh, Six Nations Championship. Yep, sure, they might bring a bit of money in rebroadcasting-wise. And, 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 of course, we want to see the Italians grow, but, boy, we need a heck of a lot more help for those than those guys that they're getting at the minute. And when you consider they've actually got it's not as if they've got any professional teams running around. They've got a couple of professional teams, but boy, where are they getting it wrong? Both those professional teams to be fair are struggling this year. 
Uh, I think um, so. I think COVID hasn't helped them from uh, from that point of view. Obviously, Italy, uh, North Italy in particular, was the first epicenter of COVID uh, in Europe. So um, I think that was a that probably hasn't helped them. Um, I want, I'm going to throw some stats at you guys to counter what you're saying here. I mean, Simon Hughes in the live chat says disagree with Boa um, on this one, um, and I'm guessing. Uh, and, and I guess look, um, with, there's got to be a pathway for to, to try and grow the game. We can't be going backwards to to the Five Nations. Is 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 definitely one part of it. But some stats say Italy ran the ball for 510 meters to um, 484 for France. So they ran it more than France did. Um, they had nine clean breaks to 14. That's pretty. Uh, that, that sounds like that they, they, they had some uh, some play in this one. Um, that, um, but at the end of the day, the thing that probably let them down, they had more, they, they had more possession, they had more territory. Well, probably let them down with two things. One is a 76% tackle rate um, compared to 89 by France um, and the 12 to 9 uh, penalty um, ratio. That um, perhaps it was more defense than attack. And they actually, they do have some, or, uh, well, with nine clean breaks. Um, when we look at the stats for the England Scotland game, it's going to be way more than. Uh, than uh, than England achieved. Um, so, do they actually have something going on there or not? Did did you did you see anything, guys? Uh, well, they, well, look again. Those those statistics, all they do are just papering over the obvious cracks and the, the obvious. There's there's two elements to where Italy uh, uh, have got it wrong. Number one is. Their talent acquisition and recruitment. They, you know, they're going to have to look at importing players because locally they don't have the talent to uh, foot it with uh, the top tier teams. So they have to go down the route, which clearly Scotland um, and Ireland were the, the architects of this, bringing in players from other uh, top tier nations uh, or the Pacific Islands um, on the residency uh, method. And get them into their uh, senior structures. Uh, otherwise, all, all it's going to do is with their homegrown talent pool, they're just going to fall further and further down uh, the the pecking order. And of course, the other element of it is their you know tactical ability to finish with. So, so if you have more line breaks than France, the question then has to be asked: Why didn't they score more tries? Well, oh, no, 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 sorry, the, sorry. the no, finishing, France, the, the tactical. France had, France had fourteen line breaks. Italy had nine. So, Italy had less line breaks. But, uh, but still, nine line breaks for one try, not not a good conversion rate. You're quite right, guys. I was going to say under under Nick Mallet. I remember when Nick Mallet was was actually coaching them, and he played a style that pretty much what, what, what would you call it damage control, where they played quite a quite a tight game without too much ball movement, a lot of kicking. It, 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 listen, a lot of endeavour in the way that they're trying to play. I'll, I'll give them that. But on the same token, you've got to have some real, real world-class players to be able to achieve that. And we'll get onto a team shortly who hasn't got a lot of world-class players in their in their backline, but they also know their limitations in terms of the way that they've played that they play the game. I don't think Italy's quite found the right recipe in terms of how they want to actually play the game because sometimes when you're playing against a team like France, I think. This is where a little bit of tactics comes into it as well. With the French, I think you need to play the ball in behind their forwards, in behind their backs, and force them to play a lot of rugby out of their 22. Problem for Italy, when they turn ball over with all their endeavour, that's when they get stung. They got they got stung a lot of times on 
on on turnover ball, and it's just really not having that real high class skill or X X factor. You know, one real quality player that that, that stands out that 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 can other players can rally around them. It's listen, it's a shame for them. I'd rather see them being competitive at the moment, but at the moment I'm seeing no change. You know, it's sort of like what's that sign of this sign of mag- madness? You're watching the same same thing and nothing's changing. That's what I'm watching. Paul yeah, and also a real, really real lack of leadership, I think, after... Whatever Paul was saying, it must have been really interesting. After Sergio, Sergio like Paris, who was, was probably... Um, yeah, look, we'll, we'll, we'll move. Yes, yeah, so I've muted myself again. I've got so, so I've got some traffic noise that I'm trying to keep 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 off the uh, broadcast, folks. So I keep remember to turn my mute back on. But yeah, look, we've. Um, I'm not sure we're going to bring any more insight into the uh, Italy France game, so we'll move on. But um, yeah, you, you're right there uh, again. Twelve turnovers, uh, Stephen, by Italy. Uh, if you're going to turn out, if you're going to if you're going to give broken field play to the opposition uh, like France, you're going to get uh, you're going to get thumped. Okay, then. Um, the game that will only take a couple of seconds, obviously, to um, to talk about is uh, England versus Scotland. Now uh, we can just breeze over this one. Um, now, look, in all seriousness, congratulations to Scotland beating uh, England um, 11-6 at Twickenham. None of the players in the match day 23 were alive the last time Scotland won at Twickenham. Um, this, yes, as, uh, um, as Boa said, it was a historic weekend. These wins are as rare as hen's teeth. So congratulations, Scotland. And they deserved the win. So before we go off and uh, you'll hear me talk about some all sorts of stuff, keep bear in mind, whatever I say from now on, I've already said Scotland deserved the win. Um, and uh, Stephen, I think I guess this, 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 is, this is the team we're talking about with Scotland here. Not got, world, not got a plethora of world-class players, but know how to get the best out of the players they've got. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's like you kind of look at their, their backs while... Well, really in terms of world-class what Finn Russell and of course Stuart Hogg just showing what what a world-class player he is and and the, the thing I do like about Hogg he weighs up situations really really quickly he knows when he's isolated knows when he needs to kick and he's a he's a real real competitor you know we we saw him had that real odd game last year where he you know he made a couple of mistakes in a game that you'd never see in the month of Sunday but he is absolutely all class, and I, I've got to say the other area that surprised me was the was the Scottish scrum. That the Scottish scrum really stood up, and um, and they show, also showed they had a little bit of depth off the, the bench in that area as well. The and um, here we go. I'm going going into excuse mode now. Um, if we uh, if we look at the England pack, um, both first choice props were missing, um, as was the uh, second choice loose head. Um, we also were missing the uh, one of the first choice locks and one of the and the uh, first choice seven as well. Add into that the two, um, four, uh, and eight also haven't played any rugby because they're Saracens players. So three out of the uh, um, out of the four players who um, who are starters for that pack uh, have not played any rugby recently because of the what because what's happened with Saracens. So um, look, England's pack was not at its best by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and uh, yes, Scotland. You can only play the team that, that turns up on the day, um, but they're going to ha- they're, they're going to come across much stronger um, uh, challenges um, going forwards. Uh, that uh, and uh, in, in in that one. But yeah, you're right. They they, they did well up front. But well, I, I first of all I have to say I I did tip you guys a uh, week before 
long shot Scotland. And that was a very, very long shot. 38 years since they last beat England at headquarters in Twickenham. Uh, but what I liked about Scotland was they were picking a squad. Uh, and this, this, and you've got to give credit to Gregor Townsend. He picked the squad of guys who had good, solid run-on form from the European competitions. Uh, and, of course, I did mention, watch out for the big South African, uh, Dwan van der Merwe. And uh, it was good odds, actually, uh, for him to uh, score a try. And he, only, he scored the only try. And, and, and for me, the biggest difference in that game was the amount of carry meters some of the key ball players made. Now, guys like Stuart. Stuart Hogg had 62 carry meters. Uh, Finn Russell, uh, 34 uh, carry meters and about 340 kick meters, as in kicking the ball out of his hand. Brilliant tactical kicking. Uh, you compare that to the English number, Billy Wunipola, he only had six carry meters. He was a passenger. Uh, and, and that is a direct result of picking guys on reputation and not on form. Uh, and I was listening to Eddie Jones post-game, uh, one of the press conferences. He came out and said, look, I take total responsibility. And he has to because, you know, those sort of tactics, uh, you know, we, we've seen this happen many a time. In international sport, you go pick players on reputation as opposed to run on form, and you pay a very heavy price. And I have to say, England looked, well, awful. They were absolutely abysmal. Uh, and the real sticking point for me was the tackle technique. There were a number of times we could see the white shirts going, you know, chest, shoulder height, and just not even laying a finger on the Scots, whereas the Scots, they got nice and low and they went nice and hard into that breadbasket target zone. So you, you could really see the difference in intensity. And I have to say, it's very unfair when you pick players who are unprepared for test footy. You can't expect people not to play any sort of competitive rugby and all of a sudden throw a shirt, uh, a, a test shirt and say, come on, son, let's play Calcutta Cup. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. So all credit to Scotland. Um, I wish I'd put a little bit more money on Scotland. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Scotland turn, turn up once a season and this might be that once a season. But long it may continue. So Stephen's now amused himself, you see, and it's, uh, he's, he's doing the same thing I, as I did. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. I might have been a noise in the background as well, but it wasn't cast. Um, I was going to say, it highlights to me how much work has gone into that English defensive game, maybe they've, they're kind of overthinking it here, as opposed to you've kind of looked at a couple of opportunities in the backs where, you know, somebody like Elliot Daly, you know, why you wouldn't be getting somebody like Elliot Daly in space or into the game or getting Johnny May, who unfortunately for Johnny had a, had a poor game with his with his hands under under the high ball. But there were times, the, the midfield, and obviously there was a new guy, Lawrence, coming in, uh, I mean, so there were times they looked like they met in the car park for crying out loud, you know, um, as opposed to just getting their getting their basics right because they have got some good ball carriers if they can get if they can get it right. Of course, you know, Paul made the point about having a you know personnel missing, and yeah, we we, we take that point on board, but we also know the the depth that uh, Eddie Jones has uh, created with this England squad. Um, you know, on another given day. It's crazy to think that at the end of the day, they were, they were, you could arguably say they were well beaten, but they were still in that contest with five minutes to go. In fact, I actually thought watching it, I thought Scotland would actually find a way to lose that game, and they almost did. Gave them well, that well, I mean, they, they almost... 
as you said, but, yeah, um, possession 65%, Scotland, territory 17 Yes, yeah, Scotland dominated this game from that point of view. Um, England, um, I think part of the part of Boa, there's a few stats I want to pull out around some of the things you guys have said. Uh, Boa mentioned about the tackle technique of England. England missed 29 tackles um, out of their 190. Now, one of the stats that so people that I've heard say before is that it's the number of missed tackles, not the percentage of missed tackles that makes the difference. England missed 29. Um, Scotland only missed 11, um, which is a big difference there, um, almost twice as much. Um, the you, you, Again, talking about those wide players, um, now I've got different stats to Boa. So I've actually got zero metres for um, for Billy Vidapola, not three. So he... Your, 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 your stats are more uh, are probably more accurate and more generous than mine, but you're quite right. Anthony Watson, three runs during the game. The first one was an hour into the game. Um, Ollie Lawrence had one run during that, during that game. Um, and uh, you're looking at uh, Johnny May had six. Um, compare that to players like Hogg or, or, or Russell, 12 run, uh, sorry, seven runs there. Uh, Hogg with 13 runs during that game, getting it into the hands of their, of their dangerous players, um, whilst whilst um, Elliot Daly has twelve runs, they were all kick returns, basically running into a good kick chase line. I think that's one of the things I spotted there was that Scotland's kick chase line was a, a lot better than England's. England had one guy or two guys basically herring out trying to trying to get the ball, the the, um, the, the catcher, um, whereas Scotland came up in a line, and I think that was a big difference in some of those breaks as well. So, so a, a really good example of chalk and cheese is Anthony Watson. His first carry was actually from behind their own goal line and in, right. in, in under absolute pressure. Whereas Van der Marwa, his first major touch was 15 meters out uh, on the outside. Good space. He just barnstormed over three English defenders. And uh, it was, you know, very poor tackle technique. So three missed tackles there. He scores a try. And, and also, no, I no, have no, to no, say... No. That was his second, second touch, his first touch. Was a cross field kick, which in into the uh, um, in, in, in into the try area, which he nearly scored from as well, but uh, what, but wasn't wasn't quite executed right. So, but, but your point yeah. counts. Oh, I, I I stand corrected, and thank you for that, Paul. Um, and, and of course, the the other the other side, as as Stephen rightly mentioned, I mean, England had plenty of chances to to kind of steal the win because Scotland, for all that possession, uh, in the first eighteen minutes, there were seven penalties. And they declined a number of shots at goal, uh, despite having Finn Russell, um, you know, as their goal kicker. Uh, and, and, and also some of the tactics they used, you know, um, they, they really sent out the invitation to England to come right back into it because they went back into that old Scotland casual mode for, for large chunks, uh, for large periods of play. And, and of course, uh, no game is ever complete without highlighting where the referee could have been a lot better. Um, you know, there, there were a number of times where Andrew Brace went up to England and said, look, you, you got to stop infringing. I'm going to pull up the card. In fact, he had that conversation four times. So, you know, England were very lucky uh, only to have one card in the whole game. And, uh, you know, professional fouling is, is, is starting to again creep into the game. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the, the referee... When did it leave? The All Blacks are masters at this of, of, of giving up threes rather than fives. Um, well, what, what I, well, what I'm saying is, as as far as this competition goes, you know, first week itself we're starting penalty after penalty. You know, blatant uh, uh, sort of not rolling away 
the, the very basic stuff. And um, it, it sort of contributed into making the game a little bit messy. And that presented England with enough opportunities. But again, they just couldn't take it. So, uh, yeah, we re- have to really question some of those tactics and some of those selections. And, and, and for me, the most underlying factor is that you know, you have to pick guys on form. You can't pick people on reputation. It's just not going to work, as we found out last weekend. Yeah, and I, selection is the other one I want to um, talk about is the, the style for Eddie Jones. Under Eddie Jones, England have played well when you've had a forward feral axis with either Jamie Joseph or Henry Slade outside them, essentially. Um, and when they've tried to have um, Tio or... In this case, Ollie Lawrence, and before that, Luther Burrell. Um, it's not really kind of worked, uh, and so every every tournament he goes in trying to think, okay, right, I can I can move on from this Ford Farrell thing, and I'll bring Farrell into ten, and I'll I'll bring Ford off the bench as a kind of game changer towards the end. And two game, two or three games in, we always see Ford starting again uh, and going back to that um, that 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 system. Uh, with Ford coming off with about 20 minutes to go, and then you bring on your heavy runner. Um, he doesn't seem to have learned that this, that um, I know he's, he's trying to change things up. He did, uh, talking about the, the defensive piece, he did say last year was about getting their defense right. And then after that, he was then going to build attack on, on top of that. Um, and yeah, England might have missed a lot of tackles, but there's a lot of scramble defense there that saved tries as well. Um, but yeah, you've got to say that uh, uh, it, it's. Um, yeah, England have got a long way to go, uh, and from this, you can give whatever mitigating things around players, player, player availability, but every team uh, has injuries, um, and you've just got to play with those and play with the players you've got, and uh, yeah, um, a bit of a problem, really. There we go. Well, there is, there is a bit of a d- dilemma, especially with, uh, sorry, Steve, just going to add this, uh, with the Saracens, uh, you know, um, relegation, uh, you know, that this is gonna this is gonna cause a bit of a dilemma for Eddie Jones and how he picks players. So he'll he'll have to go back to his blueprint of uh, wider training squad and actually start looking at players who are showing form, playing in the top competition, and start blooding them into the setup so that they do get some experience, they do get some run on form, so that he could build on towards twenty twenty three World Cup. I was about to say, guys, one one area if you think of think of a lot of the midfielders. That, that we've seen from it from England, uh, Tuolangi, Burrell, they've 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 gone down the road of of having big muscular type midfield backs, but I think one area where they do lack is just having somebody who's really creative. Because I mean to say, I shake my head that you've got the likes of Watson, Daly, and May out wide. I mean to say, that's like having a Porsche in the garage and um, basically not 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 having the uh, keys to ignition to fire those guys out of the out of the driveway. Uh, yeah, they just need somebody who's creative in that second five. And maybe maybe you actually stick with Ford as you Ford and Slade as your creative guys in the midfield and just get them let them get more games under their belt. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at I did hear that the um what is called just to be nice and confusing, what's called um the uh, the rugby championship uh, or the, um, it's not that's not the Southern Hemisphere International Competition. That's the Tier Two um, British Rugby Competition has actually got dates uh, and a schedule lined up. So uh, Saracens will be getting some games. Um, I'm just not. Uh, I just can't put my hand on 
the actual schedule at its moment. And obviously, that's going to come too late for the Six Nations uh, in game time for the players. Um, but uh, uh, And look, uh, so there was a comment in here, unless you're Argentina. Absolutely. Now, Argentina, though, trained as a squad for pretty much six months. Um, England have not been doing that. <laughs> have, um, there's a big difference with not playing and then turning up and playing such rugby between the two of them. Um, we need to move on then to um, Ireland versus Wales. Also, Wales versus Ireland. Sorry, it was in it was in Cardiff um, in this one. Uh, and another upset and another loss for me at um, the TAB. Um, Wales taking this one out 21 to 16. Um, but uh, yeah, influenced by an early red card to Peter Omani um, and um, Boa. Uh, I, if, if I let you go on this one, uh, it's, it's not going to be the referee you're going to complain about here, is it? It's going to be the player. No, no, it, it should have been red for stupidity. Uh, but, 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 but again, what, what I have to say is, I mean, if you, if you look at that entire incident, the reason why Peter Mahoney went in to clear out the Welsh defender, because he, he was literally sitting on top of the tackle player, not rolling away. Uh, and then Mahoney follows through absolutely no excuses. You know, he, he tries that whole chicken wing elbow forearm technique to the head, uh, and under, under the, under the current high tackle framework. Absolutely. Then said red card. But what now, I have to say... Before we go any further. Um, now, as the actual incident happened, Wayne Barnes said there was nothing else he could do. I.e., look, if the player puts himself in that situation and, and has to be cleared out, i.e. should have rolled away, then he can clear him out. But the, way, the, the thing that um, I minded wrong was put the elbow away from his body into the guy's head. If he'd get it next to him, and tried to wrap and taking the guy out head and all, he'd got away with that one, I think. No, it still it still is a red card under the current high tackle and player safety framework. Any sort of contact, if there's nothing mitigating, the, the onus is on the player entering into the contact. Uh, there was an interesting tweet by Nigel Owen. He actually said the player or the victim at the end of the contact, uh, those circumstances have nothing to do with the sanction, which I think is in incredibly stupid and ridiculous of world rugby. And again, this draws light onto the limitations of the high tackle framework and this head-eye contact situation. Right, um, no, this, so, this, this isn't a tackle. This is a clear-out. So it, doesn't, it doesn't fall under the high tackle framework. This is a different, um, a different situation. No, so, so, yeah, correct. But this is due with contact. So entering into any form of contact, be it a mall, a ruck, where there is direct contact to the head of your opponent, there's a framework they go through. If there's nothing mitigating, it's a straight red card. So again, in this instance, um, you know, the, the Welsh player was making no attempt to get out of the way. Mahoney got a little bit uh, uh, clumsy and then followed through with his elbow in that whole chicken ring. And you're right, Paul. Uh, initially, Wayne Barnes, uh, much like he did in the, um, was the uh, quarterfinal where he missed that forward pass, Initially, he, he he didn't see any of that, you know. And then the, the DMO had to interject, and then we go through this whole shebang. So, um, red card for stupidity, but it, it was it was a fatal blow to Ireland. It had a direct outcome on how the game would finish. And this is why, with my safe tackle framework, I advocate for an orange card. Now, that would be the perfect example where you go 10 minutes into the bin, it's a mandatory judicial hearing. If there's a further case to answer, let the judiciary sort it out, but don't kill the game 
leave the red cards for the outright, outright foul play. Well, okay, so um, you, you say, look, it's a red card unless there's mitigation. Now, Wayne Barnes was suggesting the mitigation was the player was, um, as you say, sitting on, not getting out of the way and only presented his head as a target. So therefore, as far as Wayne Barnes was concerned, there was mitigation. The only reason it became red, it became he he saw it as a card was because the arm came away from the body and it was deliberate to the head. So, um, and also if you look at whenever we go for a try, there are players diving head first at the line to score a try. Uh, there's nothing else there to stop you to, to, to aim for to stop the player other than the head really because it's head leading the way. So, and uh, th there is there is definitely uh, some sort of mitigation around that, or there is rightly or wrongly. Uh, mitigation around that kind of space that, that's allowed um, because what else do you do basically as a defender we haven't actually figured out how to play the game properly in that area whether we go down the route of the NFL where you just have to get the ball over the line in the air um, and that way players don't have to dive with their head towards the ground uh, maybe we head that way but um, at the moment there, there are still parts of the game where the the safe tackle framework might exist but it doesn't actually really get enforced because of so much mitigation involved. Well, we had a, we had a similar incident with uh, Tyrell Lomax. Uh, you know, it was actually worse, but he only got away with a yellow card. So again, this highlights the inconsistency. And, you know, if you have a good lawyer, uh, Peter Mahoney can get off this charge quite easily because, you know, I have, I have a very good insight into how this judiciaries work. And depending on what time of the day and what the weather is like and who the QC or President's Council or whatever it is, depending on the locality, uh, it's very inconsistent. So, again, I feel for Peter Mahoney. I don't think he's a dirty player at all. It was just clumsy raising that. But then again, I, I feel that, you know, the, the worst player, if he's putting himself in a ridiculous situation like that, you know what, he deserves to be taken out. It's a, just unfortunate that that shoulder, uh, the elbow came up and that whole chicken wing motion came in and out comes the red card. Uh, a key thing also for your judiciary hearing, take good biscuits, apparently. So biscuits are important. Um, <laughs> people, people might get that reference a number of years ago. Uh, bis the biscuits were actually mentioned as part of the ruling um, of, uh, of, 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 of uh, one of the judiciary committees. Ro Royal Dansk and English breakfast tea. <laughs> uh, there you go. What can I say? Um, Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, no, anything about the card? Because we need, we need to talk about the rest of the game at some point. <laughs> no, there's no worries. Boy, I think you pretty much covered everything, and I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly I've, I've got no issues so it was a it was a red card <clears throat> all day every day of the week but did i hear during the commentary that they did say he'd actually been suspended for something similar in a, in a club game guys so it wasn't as if he, he this was the first time for uh Peter mahoney he is um i'm not sure if I, I didn't hear that but um he is definitely a player that's considered someone that um is annoying around the field so yes, he's, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he, he's 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 definitely he's one of those players that, that is a bit like Mario Mario Toji. Mario Toji, another is is a wonderful player, but he also is um, as uh, my uh, as the Blood and Mud, Blood and Mud Rugby podcast would say, uh, gets involved in shithousery. Um, yeah, he gets involved in holding people's ankles um, and yeah, all the all the dark arts, as they say. And yeah, Amani's one of those. So yeah, he was. If you Google the name Peter Mahoney, I mean, he is named after, uh, I don't know if there's any coincidence, a very infamous gangster. So there you go. Well, well he, 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 
it definitely definitely plays on the edge. But I've got to say, guys, that that red card it, it seems to instill a bit of um, uh, some real lift in that Irish team, and um, they played some really really good rugby in that that first half, and they probably almost bemoaned the fact that maybe the half came came to an end because. Um, I, I thought they played some really good code and I thought the try that they scored was brilliant. Just the, the, the change change of uh, direction. One of, the mid, one of the midfielders making a break, was that Henderson or uh, or Ringrose who, who made the break? Um, found the open side flanker and of course the uh, the, lock, the big lock Ted Good picked and went. But if you actually watch that, he almost knocked it forward from the actual pickup. It actually bobbled, bobbled a little bit, but fortunately kept control. But I thought it was a really good try. And and the, and to me the Irish were were well worth it. So there must have been some real concerns for Wayne Pivak leading into that halftime break. Well, the biggest beneficiary out of it all was Wayne Pivak. He gets a win, wins a win. Uh, but you know, I'm talking to most of my uh, colleagues very close in Welsh rugby. Uh, that take on it was that this was only going to paper over the very obvious cracks, and it's only a matter of time. And he was given a bit of a reprieve and a stay on. Possibly an execution. Uh, but you're right, uh, Stephen. Ireland played some tremendous rugby straight after that. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was purely, you know, the... the, the... That looks like... Uh, ongoing physical toll and the numbers eventually took. Uh, but yeah, I... I I thought they actually. Uh... Uh, okay, it looks like Boa's uh, Wi-Fi is um, cutting in and out a bit, unfortunately, with us there. Um, but um, yeah, you got it's yeah as you say, sometimes a red card uh, makes a team, uh, galvanizes a team, doesn't it? Uh, and oh. um, hopefully we'll get Boa back. Uh, and and that definitely did that in the first half, Ryland. But look, over the full eighty minutes, um, it, it it told in the end. Um, and yeah. Uh, this was an important game uh, for for Wayne Pivak. Uh, look, he's, he, he, there's, a, there's, a, there's a break in his contract um, this summer, um, and if he doesn't come out of this Six Nations with a couple of good wins, then yeah, he is basically going to lose his job. Uh, is, is how this situation. So yeah, that, that's uh, he definitely needed the win. Paul, I was about to say there was some real good lead up, leading up work leading up to that try. Uh, James, James Lowe with a really great uh, clearing. Big left foot. We know what a big booming boot that that he's got, and of course the the line out turnover, the change of direction. So there was some some nice little things that happened in in the lead up to that try. And I noticed Ireland in the first half they actually used James Lowe off his wing uh, quite a quite a bit. Just seems to be finding his uh, his his uh, feet at that level of uh, of rugby. It wasn't perfect by any means as we we get to the Welsh uh, first. First try that was scored by uh, by um, George North. Yeah, and George North, uh, folks, playing at um, centre uh, with the the um, in the thirteen jersey, so not on the wing. Um, interesting one there. Um, you got um, uh, Reese Zamet uh, and Helen Amos, two guys. That basically, uh, well, Reese is basically is uh, becoming uh, cementing themselves in there. Um, actually, I've forgotten the. Um, uh, who the Welsh try scorer, who was doing so well at the Webby World Cup, um, is injured unfortunately. So they are missing a player there. But um, yeah, interesting to see George North uh, coming in. Perhaps yeah, as he's getting older. Geez, I mean, what well, he might be nearly thirty now. Um, the um, uh, he might be slowing down a bit, and therefore yeah, 
bring him in in a, in a, in a space uh, is not a bad idea at all. But you talk about James Lowe, 15 carries, 116 meters. Um, and we look at, uh, we, but we can, I mean, I, I talked about those those numbers of carries before. We look at uh, a very different style here from Ireland. 19 carries for Henshaw, 14 for Ringrose. They're much more um, a, a, a ball in hand side, aren't they? It's interesting how they have a very, they're very different to England and Scotland, who both didn't want to play in their half. Um, and uh, we're going to play once it was in the right area. Um, thank you, Nocturnal Rights. Josh Adams is the player that I was um, could, couldn't get the name of. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting that Ireland got a very di distinct style to England and Scotland at the moment, uh, and also Wales, um, arguably. So uh, it's, it's good to see the different styles of rugby can still win. Well, actually, you know, Ireland didn't win, but can still be played. And I think that's one of the things I love about the sport. Yeah, uh, Paul, I think with, with Wales, if you look at the, uh, their attacking patterns and with George North coming into the midfield, I think we're going to see more and more of him. In fact, he might, he might be a permanent fixture there. And this is to make room for uh, Zamit, the young uh, flyer in the wing, because I think he's, he's definitely going to be a long-term project and a long-term prospect. He's, he's going to be, uh, you know, he's, he's going to turn into a, a, a real star. He's got some real gas and wheels on the outside. And of course, uh, the Welsh attacking pattern, they've, they've gone back by using guys like George North in the midfield. They've gone very much back to a beefy midfield uh, bust. If you recall, uh, early 2000s with guys like Scott Gibbs. And it was a very effective style which worked for Wales. So I think Wayne Pivak has actually taken a cue from that. He's cut out all the, the frills and all the, uh, you know, all the fancy stuff. And they're just trying to play a very basic type of rugby. And it, it, it worked. Um, you know, of course, Peter Mahoney's red card really did help. Um, but with the amount of run meters and the amount of carry meters Ireland did, uh, Wales did, you know, even with uh, a one-man advantage to, to hang on well for it. So it'll be very interesting to see how this Wales side evolves in this competition. And um, George North, I feel, will have a huge influence, especially with their line busts. And if they can find some players who can tag along and support those line busts. It's going to be a, a, a fairly interesting turnaround for Wales and more so for Wayne Pivak. So let's wait and see. Yeah, next up then, folks, um, England versus Italy. So uh, England should get an easy win there, um, even with players who haven't played any rugby. Um, Scotland play Wales up in Murrayfield. So that'll be an interesting one. Obviously, no crowds. Um, but still, Scotland at home in that one. Uh, and Scotland have historically been really strong at home and struggled to travel. We didn't see that so much last weekend, but uh, the rain also in the second half, um, for though my Australian friends will, will understand how it's easy to lose to Scotland in the rain. Um, but um, that's, uh, so yeah, so Scotland-Wales will be an interesting one. And then um, finally, um, it's green versus blue, Ireland hosting France uh, in the next round. So um, boy, oh boy, it doesn't get any easier for Ireland. Um, let's be honest. The other two, uh, I would say, uh, well, I'll, I'll be writing my predictions, but um, England will go in, obviously, as heavy favourites. If you can find any bookmaker that will take money on England, I'll be amazed. Um, uh, Scotland, after that performance, wow, against a, uh, a well, a Welsh team that's been struggling recently. Um, I would be personally backing Scotland. I don't know about you, boys. Um, and then uh, you've got to, yeah, it's hard to look past France um, at the moment. I think they are uh, at... Uh, at the moment, so looking good for the title, for my mind. France certainly the one to beat. France certainly the one to beat. Uh, yeah, I think Scotland 
they they will certainly improve from last week and coming back to Murrayfield. I'm expecting Scotland to take a lot more shots at goal this time. They'll be playing a lot more conservative rugby against Wales. Uh, be interesting to see how Wales back up. Yeah, but England versus Italy. I mean, yeah, well, you can't ask for a better uh, week to back up after uh, a, a painstaking loss. So uh, it's funny how things work out for them. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting England to come and breathe fire and Italy will just probably just wilt into the thin air. I'm, I'm going to go for Ireland and an upset over France. I, the Irish, even though they went down, they, they showed enough to me. Um, they showed enough against Wales uh, to, to take down France, in, in, in my opinion. So I'm going to go for the uh, Emerald Green to uh, cause the upset of the round. Well, there you go. Uh, moving on, then, folks. Um, we will uh, we'll, we'll try and remember to to um, to rub um, Stephen's face or my face in it after uh, next week, depending on which way that one goes. Um, uh, just some quick rugby news. Then um, Neil Barnes is going to be the new head coach of Taranaki Rugby. Um, do you think that is a a a, a good appointment, Stephen? Yeah, I, I do actually. Um, we all it's well known that. Uh, Taranaki have had their uh, issues, of course, Woody Ricard's moving on on what's been a very, well, sort of unsuccessful campaign. When you, when you give it, given the quality of their squad, and they've had quality, but, in, in, but they've also had a lot of injuries as well. In fact, the, the whole union has been through a little bit of a, a tough time not being, being able to use their, their facility there, Gary Stadium, um, which, is, which needs a whole lot of work to, uh, to get up, up and running again, but uh, no, good to see Neil Barnes, of course, part of the uh, the Chiefs as well. So he brings definitely a little bit more higher level of experience, and uh, hopefully, we'll bring a bit of sanity back to uh, uh, that union. Yeah, I'd have liked Willie to have uh, to stay on as an assistant coach. He's a very, very young coach, still learning his trade. Um, perhaps promoted a little bit too quickly when uh, um, oh, I've gone blank as to the. Um, the, the Taranaki coach who moved on to the Chiefs and was head of the Chiefs for a while. Colin Cooper. Colin Cooper, thank you. I want to say Collins. I was, I, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm close, but I'm not close enough. Um, yeah, so, yeah, perhaps uh, coming after Colin Cooper was had a, such a successful run with uh, Taranaki, um, I think William yeah, was, was always on to a, pretty, a bit of a tough team there. So hopefully he will um, uh, yeah, find a coaching job because he's a very young guy. Um, Bella? Yeah, no question. And I think, look, it's been very tumultuous times down in the Naki and, uh, you know, appointing someone like Neil, I think uh, I think it's tremendous uh, because at that level, especially at NPC, where you're drawing from a talent pool from the uh, respective provinces, club premier grade players, you know, you, you really need an old school taskmaster. You need someone who can really cut down uh, the uh, the trainings into the nitty gritty, the, the real basics, just keep it simple uh, and you know, get get some get some passion back into the players so that they turn up uh, week in week out and they do their jam. So um, I think it's definitely the right move, and there's a lot of lot of experience there. So um, the, I'm I'm actually anticipating a fairly swift uh, turnaround for Taranaki this season. Uh, I'm not saying that you know all their problems are going to disappear overnight, but uh, certainly the uh, the the direction they're trying to take this is really good. I guess we'll soon find out because uh, sooner or later, you know, um, as the months go, months go on, the Super Rugby will be over and we'll be back right into another Mitre 10. So, uh, yeah, no, exciting times and I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier for Taranaki. Be, be yeah, interesting. And, uh, 
I was about to say, be interesting to see in terms of uh, uh, personnel whether he Barnes actually stays local or if, I, if they've got enough money to look outside the union. I've um, I, I've already been told that Sean Wainui is uh, moving from Taranaki to the Bay of Plenty Steamers, so that's right on the back of uh, Selby Rickett. Manaki Selby Rickett also moving to the uh, Bay of Plenty Steamers as well, so uh, yeah, that's that's another issue. It's going to be a very. He's always been. He's always one of uh, Taranaki's better players. Um, every time they take the field, so it's going to be very, very hard to replace. And of course, remembering they had that long-term injury to Tehorangi uh, Walden last year. So there's your midfield right there, guys. If I know Neil, I think he'll he'll stick to uh, you know the local catchment. Uh, because again, it'll come down to systems and processes. They will look to make sure that the the local feeder systems, the local clubs, are well looked after. Uh, but the reality is, you know, if you want to be a top uh, top four, top two uh, NPC level side, you need to have players who are going to give you that X factor and be brought in that draft. So at the moment, Taranaki don't necessarily have many of them. So uh, yeah, interesting times. But uh, you know, I think definitely the right direction. And uh, we, we were probably going to see a, 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 an immediate impact under, um, under this new coach. Yeah, I mean, Craig McMillan has said previously that, uh, that uh, my 10 Cup success is closely correlated to the number of Super Rugby players you have. Um, so they, they are going to need to breed some Super Rugby players from somewhere. Um, Nocturnal Rights Bay of Plenty has a big population. Uh, oops, sorry, I don't need to, need to recruit so much. But sorry, his question is, uh, Bay of Plenty is spending up big. Where is the cash coming from? Um, well, uh, you may have noticed that they've had a a, 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 um, a deal with the China Lions. Um, so uh, there's, they've, they've, they've been one of the more progressive unions in that. Remember, they, they put a team into Global Rapid Rugby uh, and have got an association with China with the Chinese Rugby Union about uh, progressing the game um, up there. So uh, maybe there's some cash coming in from that way. Um, and... Um, yeah, as I say, they've just been one of the more progressive unions. Stephen, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah Paul, something that, that they will have to be a little bit careful about. Of course, it was a couple of seasons ago they took out the national under-19 title. So there's some really good kids coming through in that um, uh, in that team. One, for example, in um, Narawa, just forget his, uh, in Mori Narawa, I think the winger who plays for the, uh, who played for the uh, Blues this year or was in the Blues squad, um, very, very good footballer. There's a few others, uh, Kaiko Brown, who was the uh, captain of that team. They've just got to be a bit careful that they don't loot. You know, it's all very well bringing these young guys through, but to keep them there, you need to you need to feed them and make sure that they are going to get an opportunity in the future. And when you do start bringing players in from the outside, um, yeah, it's a very dangerous thing, but I can understand what Bay of Plenty Steamers are doing. They're a premiership team. They want to win the premiership title. They were a semi-finalist this year, and they've they've obviously looked at positions that they can improve on. And boy, that's a couple of good pickups. Two New Zealand Maori players in Selby Rickett and uh, also Wainui. Boy, that's got to add to what is already a strong Bay of Plenty Steamers squad. And two players, you're not going to lose the All Blacks as well. Exactly. Um so yeah, it's uh, whereas you look at things like um, when uh, Terra when um, uh, Tasman sorry picked up um, uh, Sever Reese, you're like, well, yeah, they're not going to see much of him. Um, but uh, you got to say, Bay of Plenty will see those players uh, having also picked up a Terry Black last year. Um, yeah, they as you say, they're building up a very uh, formidable team 
down the bay. And it'll be interesting to see because they got they have a new head coach this year with Clayton McMillan having moved on. Um, I thought this would be a good point for me to uh, show my interview with them. Um, oh, I've just gone absolutely blank. Xavier Rowe, um, who was an ex uh, Taranaki player. Uh, and moved on to um, White Here Cafe. We are as the uh, Chiefs get out in the community with um, first windows and doors. So thank you to their sponsors. And here I am um, with Xavier Rowe. So um, last year, uh, you've uh, sort of moved provinces, went from uh, Taranaki up to uh, Waikato. Um, and uh, this year, hey, that's uh, good, good, good performances there. Got you a Chiefs contract. So uh, in, enjoying the, uh, the professional lifestyle in Northern UK. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, Pre-season's been good. Um, the boys came in pretty fit and healthy after a good Christmas New Year's break. But um, that's uh, it's good to be back up in Waikato, close to the home. Um, but uh, Taranaki was good, um, good learning experience. But yeah, happy to be back up in Waikato. So, how do you find the difference in the, the level? I mean, being amongst the super guys, I mean, obviously you're training alongside players like Brad Weber, Triple T, your competition for the for the jersey this year. So two All Blacks yeah. um, there. So a, a step up. How are you finding that? That's been good. Um, I think um, the All Blacks came in this week, so it's obviously been a, a ramp up in intensity and um, everyone's kind of a little bit on edge, so that's been good, but um, good things to, to start with anyway. I'm excited for the season. And uh, Clayton McMillan, obviously it's his first um, season here, how, how you, uh, and a new coach for you, because uh, he's obviously come from, from Bay of Plenty. Yeah. Uh, you think his style of play is going is gonna, to gonna be good for you, or, or, or how are you finding the, the, kind of the drills and the, how, how he's putting things together? Yeah, no, he's, um, he's fitting pretty seamlessly. Obviously, I wasn't here um, last year, but no, he's been an awesome coach so far. And um, as like uh, the, the other coaches, Roger Randall, Neil Barnes and um, David Hill. So now they've all been pretty pretty good. And um, yeah, it's, it's looking good at the moment, yeah. Um, so what, what are your goals? Obviously, I say, I pointed out you're, you're against two All Blacks for, for yeah, the yeah, jersey. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are your real goals for this year and, um, uh, and this season, obviously, with Super Rugby and then Super Rugby Trent Tasman? Uh, and then, well, either All Blacks or um, or, or Prince of Rugby. Yeah, yeah. Or, or um, I don't know. I'm just taking one 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 foot at a time, kind of thing. I'm not getting um, ahead of myself too much. I just want to um, train well in pre-season. Uh, we've got a game of three halves next week, so hopefully I get a bit, bit of game time there. But um, no massive goals at the moment. But um, yeah, hopefully aim for that um, 23 and the 23 that first game against the Highlanders on on Friday. So uh, well, good luck with all that. Um, it's been uh, it's been great watching your progress from uh, uh, through through Waikato last season in particular. Uh, and uh, yeah, good luck with the Chiefs this year. Yeah, cheers, Paul. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks everybody, and don't forget to follow the New Zealand Sports Radio for more coverage of the uh, Super Rugby and obviously minor ten cup later. In the so there you go, guys. I was out at a, a Chiefs uh, media day uh, last on Friday last week and did that interview. I've also got one coming up uh, later in the show with. Um, Topu Vai um, as well. So, uh, any points off that one, guys, or did or shall we uh, move on to Super Rugby AU and, uh, and previewing that? I think we can move right along. That's move right well along. Done, Paul. Very well done, Paul. Yeah, thanks. It, it reminds me of ESPN. Fantastic work, Paul. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> um, some stats here that um, and uh, perhaps I will. Uh, have to zoom in on a few of them um, from, and I've just gone blank as to who they're from, um, but um, I will figure that out uh, and get uh, and give them the proper um, due um, uh, uh, kudos for this. But um, uh, here we have the five different Super Rugby AU sides, uh, and uh, they've gone through picking who they think their match day 23 is 
looking at the number of caps um, and the uh, average age of the uh, different sides. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went through looking at the sides from a point of view as to how much turnover they had had in each um, uh, in their squads compared to last year. Um, and uh, the Brumbies were the team that had had the least um, changeover. Um, and uh, um, Boa, I know you've been intrigued looking at these stats, but um, looking at the Brumbies uh, there, um, what, uh, on, the, on the, the starting age of about just under 26, um, around just about 48 um, Super Rugby caps uh, and uh, 11 um, international, uh, sorry, no, sorry, uh, and um, 15 international caps average per player. Um, is, is, is that a good level for a starting 15 at Super Rugby? Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, I did some of my own calculations. I think, uh, you know, average age of 24, 24, half, 25 years with 40 plus uh, Super Rugby caps and anywhere between 10, 11 plus test or representative caps. If you have a majority of your squad players who have uh, that type of statistic or beyond, I think you're in very, 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 very good footing. And chances are you're going to have more um, stable combinations in, in your half sparings, in your hookers and jumpers, in your back rows, back three. So uh, there's, there's a very strong correlation to uh, lesser player turn, turnover year on year uh, and, and who goes on to win. And I think Brumbies have been, you know, the flagship uh, or the team who have been head and shoulders above. And this is a, a, a brilliant analysis of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right into that line of thinking. And the scientific figures clearly show that there's empirical evidence to back that up. Yeah, I, um, nocturnal right sp um, spots a, 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 a bit of a hole there. Um, in, or he says, in, you know, he looks at the um, uh, light on experience at lock. Um, he suggests... Um, but um, Neville, 73 caps there for uh, Super Rugby and Swain with 22. Yeah, but no international experience um, in their locking department could be a bit of an issue for them um, come the pointy end of the competition, maybe, or um, or Super Rugby out to the, uh, Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. Um, Stephen, have you, uh, what are your, your thoughts on the Brumbies this year? Yeah, that's, they've, always, they've always been quite solid at, at set-piece time. We know how good they are close to the line. Um, uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to go and put a a bit of money on the top try score, you'd be, I'd be checking out what uh, Fyanga, the uh, hooker, is uh, uh, paying at the TAB. But I also think they've had a little bit of a, uh, a blow as well because I did hear somewhere on the wires that uh, the um, the Brumbies winger, right now his first name escapes escapes me, is uh, out for the season with an injury. He is, he is. That's, that's, uh, I mean, he, he had a, um, his name escapes me as well. He had a tremendous uh, debut against the All Blacks and a, a really good uh, introduction into Tesla. He's got some real good speed as well. So, yeah, it is a bit of a blow. Uh, so, not the greatest of start, but I guess it's something they'll have to uh, do with. But I think they've just got enough cover. Uh, but, yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. Tom, Tom, Tom Wright is the... Uh... Is the is the boy's boy's name, and yeah, I I have heard somewhere that he uh, is uh, pretty much up for most of the Super Rugby season, which is a shame. Yeah, twenty three year old, twenty six Super Rugby caps, and uh, three international caps. There we go, as we happen to have it on screen. Um, but uh, yeah, shame that um, that Tom Wright is out for the uh, um, for, for 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 the season. That will give Muirhead 
probably a bit more game time than uh, maybe he was expecting. Moving on to the force, um, and uh, if we compare that to the Brumbies, their starting 15 has um, uh, is slightly older and uh, with uh, quite a lot more international caps at 22, um, uh, but um, slightly less uh, super rugby experience. Um, overall, uh, they are slightly, yeah, it's, uh, the, they have slightly more super rugby. But I think part of that, uh, part of their problem is going to be um, that uh, they have had a lot of turnover. Um, in this fourth side. Very few of them have actually played uh, together or quite a few of them have, have not played together. Um, and Cabelli, Miotti um, will probably be their halfback partnership who have played a lot together, but they'll be looking around at the rest of the team going, wow, they don't even speak my language. Um, so it's going to be difficult uh, for the cohesiveness and communication, I think, uh, with this team, um, even though they have got some real good players. I mean, Goodwin and, and Corindrani, sorry, Godwin and Corindrani, both, both, both um, played at some... Um, the Brumbies together for a while, but that's been some time ago now. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say uh, a, a few aging players, um, a few good players come in from 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 the Haguares, but it's going to be a matter of how quickly can they meld together. Um, see you nodding away there, Stephen. Yeah, and I think the other thing for them, I think when they've got their maybe their their, their main fifteen on the paddock, they're probably. Not not a bad side. Obviously, you can probably see a, a leadership role somewhere in there for the for the veteran Jeremy Thrush. But yeah, you've sort of mentioned the age before 35, 35 years old. Listen, he'll bring plenty of effort and enthusiasm. But you know, when you when you do start getting those losses under your belt, uh, interesting selection there is. Uh, so they picked up an Argentinian boy, Miotti, uh, uh, Paul. Oh, they picked up a few a few players from the Hankiwares. Um So they, yeah, Cabelli. Miotti, um, uh, Medrano uh, in the front row as well. Um, they uh, uh, and I think there was a back as well who was who was also in there. Uh, they've also uh, they they did have the hooker, but unfortunately he these he's got himself a contract in the uh, UK. I think with the Tigers, um, so he didn't uh, come over. But yes, uh, they've got some. I think it is four or five uh, Haguaris players uh, that have come over, um, which will be interesting for them. Uh, as to how they, uh, how much they, how they enjoy being in Perth, I guess it'll be an inter- it'll be a bit of a culture shock for them. Um, Tony Wright says Ralston is a uh, a sharp runner, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes on the wing there uh, with um, just uh, the twenty year old uh, with just seven Super Rugby caps to his name. Um, obviously, also Rob Kearney, the um, Irishman, Irish and uh, British and Irish Lions um, player, ninety eight All Blacks caps, but zero Super Rugby caps. Um, but boy, oh boy, his, he'll be bringing some experience at fullback there for them. Yeah, I mean, look, so a, a, a lot of international experience here, a lot of good players. Um, the problem really is that it's a bit of a barbarian side, in all honesty. Um, and they may actually be better during Super Rugby Tasman than they are during Super Rugby AU. With that yeah, and, 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 and Paul, the reality is the style of play and you know the sheer amount of ball staying live in play at Super Rugby because that, oh, there is that large element of entertainment and Barbarian-style rugby. It is very much a younger sort of man's game. And, and you know, when, when you hire some of these veterans, they, you know, their playing minutes have to be really stage managed. And one of the stats I threw at you was the, the you know, the ideal Super Rugby player is somewhere around about that 24-25 mark who has about 40 Super Rugby players. Uh, caps of experience, that's when they really mature and show their best form. 
according to the stats and data I have. So you, you're going to see, especially in Super Rugby Aotearoa, we will see more and more players. The uh, bulk of them, the, you know, the, the best of their playing days or the best of, best of their form within the five New Zealand rugby franchises will probably be numbered around about 28, 29, and then they will have to probably go overseas. And this is going to force some of the younger players into the side. Now, the reason I said this, with guys like Xavier Rowe, give them a couple of seasons. Once they really start finding their footing in, with all that experience, and once they come closer into that ideal statistic, and when the older guys start leaving in, it is the perfect time they get to blood their whole experience as well as get more regular game time. And this is what has really worked well for within the New Zealand system. Now, unfortunately, the Australians, they take a slightly different view of the world. For example, you know, getting most of the Jaguares players in. Yeah, sure, it's, it's good from a, a high-performance perspective for that respective franchise. But, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd be very concerned uh, from the Wallabies' high-performance perspective because all that is actually doing is depriving potential players who can be fast-tracked into the Wallabies' setup, uh, uh, you know, valuable game time. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all this fans are. It is, um, obviously, with the, 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 the force a bit different to all the other franchises. In fact, they have got Twiggy Forrester's um, cash behind them. Um, by the way, these all these stats are from Rugby Fixation. So, um, at Rugby Fixation on Twitter. Um, he's been uh, uh, good enough to let me uh, screen grab his uh, stats and um, show them on here. I have agreed. I have talked to him and he said, yes, go for it. Um, so, don't worry, folks. I'm not stealing other people's stuff um, without their permission. Um, talking about age and international experience, and boy, the Rebels are a different prospect to the um, force, especially their pack. If you look at that pack, first choice pack has 20 international caps amongst them, um, eight with Nazarani, uh, 12 with Iliesi. Um, all the rest of those guys have not played um, international rugby. Um, and uh, all of them, well, apart from Cummins at 28, all of them below 25 or under. That's a very young pack from the uh, the Rebels there. Uh, and the bench is no better. Um, I, you look at the backs and you go, yeah, Powell, Tamua, Corabetti, Hodge, um, uh, Dame Hellot Petty. Um, admittedly, they've got um, the the, uh, the the NRL player, um, Tony Opea. I'm sorry about the pronunciation um, there. Um, but you're looking at that back line, and you go, hey, Wallabies, look at that front, that pack, and you go, who are those guys? I mean, it, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it, Stephen? It is. It's it's crazy. Gone for a lot of uh, inexperience, but boy, they've also got a lot of class there as well, especially with, with Korobiti. We know what, what he can do. Timur is a good uh, playmaker. Powell is a, is a halfback on, on the rise. Um, the key will be trying to keep these uh, experienced guys injury-free. If they lose any of these experienced guys to injury, then they've got a bit of an issue. It's throwing a lot on a very young, what is basically a very young squad. Boa, any thoughts on the uh, on the Rebels? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm actually quite flabbergasted because uh, it's 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 very unusual to have uh, you know such a stacked sort of jacked lineup in your back division, uh, and you know without having an experienced forward back, you're actually gonna contest very well but that's at least that's a hypothesis based on what we've seen in the past uh against some of the more experienced forward packs so i mean is it going to be a case of uh, having a star-studded back lineup who's going to be starved of position and have nothing to do 
or are they going to uh, you know are they going to have a, a different strategy where they're going to be relying on extractor all the time so it's going to be very interesting to say but based on what i'm seeing i would expect the rebels to struggle very much up front um and um, and again uh, based on what uh, what's been discussed brumbies should in theory dominate this season's super rugby au and yep. guys, I was, um, I was about, I was about to say, and one of the one of our uh, might have been nocturnal rights mentioned uh, uh, Trevor Hosea, who's an Australian um, uh, rugby player of of uh, Cook Island descent, um, two point oh three meters, one hundred and fifteen kgs, only twenty one years old. So I think he might be one to watch this year, guys. It's very exciting talent. Yeah, and right, right across the board, you can see the Polynesian influence on Australian rugby. It's it's very very evident. Uh, so, you know, it's just, um, it's going to be quite interesting to see whether we see more and more players from, uh, the Pacific islands over the next four to five years, make a real impact and might, might come to a situation where the Wallabies, uh, first choice 23 on a game day will have more, uh, players of Polynesian descent than anything else. Now looking at the Reds and, uh, if you go by Boa's, um, stats of uh, age and caps um they, they haven't got a chance uh with uh, an average age of 23.4.4 in their um their starting lineup um with uh, james o'connor the only 30 year old um everybody else is below 25 uh but mcwright uh Wright, wilson that back row really did impress last season uh and brad thorne has been giving these guys a lot of game time so you're looking at players like Right, 23, but 45 caps. Um, McWright, he might only be 21, but he's got 16 caps already. Uh, he's brought in through these young players, given them lots of caps, uh, and perhaps more experienced than their age shows there, Bella. Yeah, definitely. And 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 that, that also shows, you know, Brad Thorne's uh, selection policy. You know, if you're fit and if you do the work and if you're up to it, you're in. And that's something I respect in the guy a lot as a coach. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something uh, we, we're starting to see more and more with Queensland and the Reds. Uh, and he's got a very good uh, extensive network of talent identification. So it's it's definitely for him, it's a long-term project. And um, yeah, definitely looking at those numbers, he has physically all the attributes and the right numbers to have more or less the uh, a squad which has a better chance than most based on age and experience. I, I listen, if I had a few extra dollars to play with, they're my dark horses to take out this uh, comp this year. I, I, think they're, I think they're ready to click. They, they showed glimpses of it last year. I can really recall in the first part of the uh, Super Rugby before we went COVID, a really, really good performance against the Crusaders down in, in Christchurch. And I just think, I just think they're ready to click and I think it's important that they click because I think this is pretty much a make or break for Brent Thorne guys. Would you agree? Yeah, watch some of the uh, some short snippets from the uh, preseason against Waratahs and uh, I have to say they were awful. But the good news is if you're gonna make if you're gonna make all those mistakes, you might as well do it preseason. But again, uh, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, once they roll on in and preseason can always be you know, really odd. I, I remember many, many, many years ago, this was when it was Super 12, the Brumbies gave the Crusaders 116-point hiding in a preseason. Uh, and then Crusaders came back to actually win that 
season's title. So, you know, preseasons can be uh, deceptive. And if they're going to make mistakes, might as well do it. Uh, but yeah, look, Steve, I'm right with you, mate. They are certainly a dark horse. And who knows, they might be the long shot at odds. Well, I'm kind of looking at the, at their backline, guys. If you look at what their possible midfield, uh, Paisami and Jordan Patea in the midfield, that's that's not bad, guys. That's a, that's going to be a Wallaby midfield. And if you look at their options uh, in the outside backs, uh, Dalgunu, uh, Vunivalu, who's come across from... From uh, from rugby league, boy, they they have got some uh, they have got some excitement machines in those outside backs. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Reds are clearly the second best team in this. They might they might be the youngest team. No, not quite. Actually, we'll, we'll get on to Waratahs in a second. <laughs> wow. Um, but um, look, they're a young team, but an experienced team because Brad Thorne has had a policy of youth, and it's his fourth season now with the Reds. Um, so I get Stephen's point here. Look, he has. How long can you be bringing young guys through before you actually start delivering? Um, so if the Reds don't finish second this year in Super VAU, at least you've got to say it's a failure for them um, after this. Um, especially when you look at what the Waratahs are pitching up with. Because Michael Hooper's decided he's off to, to, uh, to Japan for a while. Um, and I talked about the fact that the, the, the Rebels looked like they had an inexperienced um, pack. You take out Jack Dempsey with 14 international caps. And boy, oh boy, this is one of the most inexperienced packs you'll, you'll see in Super Rugby. Bell with three caps, Horton, Nort. Um, uh, there's one, zero, zero, one, zero. I mean, that is, uh, that's, that's not what you think of as from New South Wales, is it? New South Wales, uh, Sydney, it's the home of rugby in Australia. It's supposed to have all the Wallabies, all the big names, and boy, oh boy, this is a this is probably the the least star-studded Waratahs side I can remember. But oh, no question about it. And I think this will be uh, the Waratahs probably one of their worst seasons uh, to to come in, in waiting. Um, and and also again, looking at this whole Super Rugby AU, and once they 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 you know uh, transition into the Super Rugby Trans Tasman. I think, guys, look, it's going to be a bit of a, a, a lopsided affair once they come up against the New Zealand teams. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I think this Waratah side, they will struggle tremendously. Uh, but um, I have to say, they did all right against the Reds in the preseason. So we'll wait and see how that all fans are. I was going to say, though, uh, uh, it might be a case with the Reds of uh, the dress rehearsal not going so well, but it'll be a case of it'll be right on the night there, just from the Waratahs. Uh, point of view, a couple of players that I'd, I'd be very interested in the way they go is, of course, uh, uh, two players that we know pretty well from one from Auckland here, Jack Wheaton, and of course, uh, Sam Keard, who had, a, who had a stellar season for the North and Tanifar. So it'll be interesting to see how these two guys uh, uh, fit into the mix. I, I just get a, a, a real suspicion that they're going to have a heavy workload in what could be a very, very tough season. Right. Of all the Super Rugby sides in Australia, um, the, the Waratahs going over to Australia, sorry, going over to New Zealand to get it, to buy players in. You're like, seriously, guys, this is this is not what, for, from a Wallabies point of view, this is not what you want to be seeing. You want to see the Waratahs and the Reds basically being your your your, your production line of players because that's the, those are the homes of rugby in Australia. Um, and Nocturnal Rights makes a point here that. Um, the, the future of the Wallabies depends on the Reds firing on all cylinders. 
absolutely. This is it's it's got it's the future of the Reds. The future of the Wallabies is not there in is not there in Sydney. It's up there in Queensland and in Brisbane. Um, and you got to say, uh, there's obviously there's, there's the odd player or two, but um, but uh, yeah, bringing players, especially the pack anyway. Uh, that that um, when you're bringing pack, when you're bringing players into into strengthen up your pack, um, you got to say the Reds is where the pack is uh, in the future um, for the Waratahs. So, boys, so, so in summation, guys, looking at all of this, then we are um, uh, basically saying that the Brumbies and the Reds look good, decent. The Force are going to take a while to gel, and the Rebels and the Waratahs, well, um, they could do with some experience to help them out, couldn't they? Um, it's a it's, it's a two it's a two horse race, isn't it, for the, for the title? Yeah, but as as the weeks wear on, I think Waratahs are going to look good for potential wooden spoon candidates. Um, and and the point um, I made earlier, this this shows there's a bit of a disalignment between. Uh, Rugby Australia high performance and what's going on with the contracting at super, uh, super rugby level. So I, I would be very, very concerned. And, uh, you know, Dave Rennie knowing, I mean, knowing how, uh, uh, you know, how, how much into detail he goes, he'd be a worried man right about now. And looks like, um, the, you know, the Australian, some of these franchises are actually scraping the bottom of the barrel in their, in their own backyard. And then, you know, Best example is uh, Jack Wetton going over there. And I was reading an interview about Jack Wetton about how he had very little options over here. And then he happened to know someone who was in the Warta setup. And then he got a he got a, a, a get out of jail card, quote unquote. So that doesn't make for great reading. But yeah, it's going to be interesting times for uh, Wallabies and Super Rugby AU teams. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, thank you, everybody. Look, we've, we've, we have overrun tonight. Um, and uh, but it's been but I've been enjoying the chat, so I've not tried to wrap things up quickly. Um, I've just kept things going, and Boa's decided to bail quickly. Um, so <laughs> good night, Boa. Um, <laughs> um, so thank you everyone uh, for, 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 for sticking around for the full show, Stephen. Um, yeah. um, and um, we'll be back next week with rugby fixation stats for the Super Rugby Outer um franchises. Uh, obviously, we will have the um. Uh, the, my interview with um, Topu Vai, uh, and uh, so last piece of breaking news yeah, uh, that uh, someone used to be there. Yeah, Toronto Arrows are going to be based in Atlanta. Um, yes, MLR is struggling to get ahead, but I think they're going to go. They, they are struggling to get ahead there. Last words, Stephen? No, that's that's about it. Been an interesting week. We'll be interested to see how these teams bounce back in the uh, six Six Nations. But uh, I'm uh, pretty sure all those teams that uh, maybe. Uh, Tasted defeat will be much better this weekend. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Um, and uh, yes, as an Englishman, I'm hoping. Well, no, but thank God we've got um, Italy next because at least I know we've got a win coming up. Um, and um, have a wonderful okay. week, folks. Don't forget you can join me at seven a.m. every single morning for the morning sports briefing. Where I'll keep you up to speed with all of the uh, important sports news. Um, and we'll be back next week on Tuesday evening at eight p.m. Have a great week, folks. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.